Hi, welcome to Calvary HSM. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We hope you enjoy this podcast. My name's Sarah. It's so nice to meet you. If you like didn't get to meet a new person, you're now meeting me. And I really do think that ants would win. Like, you know, maybe the underdog mentality, but they've, I've also seen them like carry away much larger things, which is terrifying. Um, but if you're like, wow, you look mildly familiar, I get to be one of our young adults pastors. So when you guys are graduating into college and you stick around, we would love for you to come to our ministry Thursday nights, 7 p.m. You'll see some familiar faces there. But it's actually really exciting I get to be here. It was kind of like a surprise for me too. But I'm pumped. I'm pumped. The 5 p.m. you guys already, you didn't even have to be told to like stand up during worship. So like, well done. Bring that energy to YA. Um, Okay, I have an important question before we start, and this might be a little divisive, but like you guys, you can read my shirt. What, is it, what does it say? Go sports. Go sports. Okay, I asked the 11 a.m. I was like, who here loves sports? Silence. Who, who here tonight loves sports or is an athlete? Okay. The demographic is a lot higher. All right. Um, who here tonight is like sports are not my thing? Yeah, Okay. Who here tonight is like, sports are not my thing, but I love someone who loves sports. Yes, we love that. Okay, so I fall into this unique category of like, I, believe it or not, guys, was a high school athlete. But here's the thing. I wasn't like the high school athlete where like people got excited to go watch what I did because I was a swimmer. Is anyone else here a swimmer? See, you know, people don't need to see it. I get it. It's fine. But here's the deal. Like, you are fully an athlete, but no one wants to come to your meets because all they come to see is a 30-second to two-minute two performance. Like, that's it. Like, our whole, like, if you are good at what you do, you are in the water for 30 seconds to two minutes, and you have to wait, like, hours for that to happen. So I'm not used to, like, people wanting to, like, cheer me on, and maybe I, like, internalized that. Now I'm, like, I'm not much of a sports person myself. Uh, but I did date a lot of athletes, so I had to go to a lot of games and be like, yay, football. And then I went to a little university called Baylor, and we used to be good at football. So when I was there, I went to a lot of football games. So I fit into this category of, like, okay, I don't love sports. Part of the reason I bought this was that um, my boyfriend loves sports. He's a big Philadelphia Eagles fan. Does anyone like the Philadelphia Eagles? No, it's okay. They won today, just so you know. Um, I, I left before I found this out, so I had to, like, Google it. But here's the deal. I went from the 11 a.m. service to go watch with him. And I was sitting there, and I was like, to be honest, I care nothing for this team. I have no association. Like, I'm from New Jersey. I lived out here most of my life. I, like, cheered for the USC Trojans. Um, don't really have an NFL team. But I'm sitting there, and I was like, I don't love this, but I'm here for you. And I'm here to suffer with you through whatever happens. And guys, they did not play well. If you know anything about the Eagles, they never play well in the second half. These are all things I learned like an hour ago and I sound like an expert. Um, they don't play well in the second half. But I sat there and I suffered through that because I cared for my boyfriend. And I was thinking about this this morning as I was like putting this on. And I was like, tonight, we're going to talk about compassion. And the word compassion literally means to suffer with. If you think about it, or if you've ever heard about like Jesus going to the cross, it can be referred to as the passion of the cross or the passion of the Christ, meaning Jesus is suffering. And when we do things like attend sports games that we don't want to be at for people that we love, that is just a small picture of compassion because it's saying I care more, care more about the person than even like 
their personal conviction about whatever we're watching. Like I care to be here and even suffer with through hard moments that I could care less about because I care about this person in front of me. And as we're looking at this series, this 2030 series, just give a shout if you've like been here for a few weeks, like talking about, yeah, like God's, the love of God's word and like the vision for why our church is going through this. Like anybody here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Ashlyn. Ashlyn Kelly is my second cousin, guys. So <laughs> we found out just a couple years ago. Um, but anyways, so we're going through this vision series because here's the deal. Like you guys as high school ministry are part of the future of our church. And not just like Calvary, that's great if you stick around and this is your home church for the rest of your life, but you are, like, you are the church currently and into the future, like Big C Church. So we here at Calvary really want to be focused about the vision that we take into at least the next eight years. So when we talk about 2030, we're talking about vision. And it made me think about my college small group leader. His name is Josh Blancas, great man. And he would tell us that like vision in your life is like having a big bucket with a hole in the bottom. And he would say, like, okay, when we come to small group, he would always remind us of the vision of small group, that life change happens in community, that we're three or more gathered, there the presence of God is. And we'd be like, Josh, why do you always remind us this? And he's like, if we go back to Proverbs, the scripture that says, without vision, people perish. It's kind of like having a bucket that you stop putting vision into, because this whole time it leaks out, right? Because we're forgetful. People are forgetful. We're like goldfish, and not in a fun way. And he's like, you have to keep really filling the bucket because here's the thing. If we stop giving ourselves vision for what we're doing, suddenly we forget why, like, why do we show up to church? Why are we attending small group? Why are we spending time with God? Right? So part of this 2030 series is putting this vision into our buckets again and again and again so we can go forward and be who Christ came and died for us to be and see the kingdom of God advance. So this is 2030. Last week, you guys talked about deliberately elevating your love for God's word. And tonight, we're going to talk about dramatically escalating our Christ-like compassion. Because here's what I know. We live in a time where the physical and spiritual needs of the world are, like, on blast. And you know this because we are the most connected generation there was to ever exist. If you have a smartphone in your pocket, you've gotten a news notification today. If you've been on social media, you've probably seen something that's just tragic or stirred your heart, whether that's what's going on in Iran or the Ukraine, or Russia, even if it's as silly as, like, your favorite celebrity breaking up with someone, like, you, you get a bird's eye view into the heartache not only of the world, but people's personal lives. And if it's not social media, and if it's not the news, then I know you guys listen to sad girl music, right? Like, shout out to Olivia. Like, it was Paramore when I was young, but, like, Miss Olivia's right. Like, it's brutal out here in the world. And we know this because we see it, because the suffering and brokenness of this sinful and fallen world, like, is everywhere, including our pop music. Wow, I just sounded so old, our pop music. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Drew. Um, And this is what I've experienced myself, and I'm wondering if you've experienced this too. But, like, that in itself can become this cyclical pattern where suddenly we're seeing sadness in the world, and then we start to experience sadness, or we consume broken examples, whether that's at our home, in the media, through things like pornography, and then suddenly we see those things bleeding into the brokenness of our own relationships. We start meditating on hopeless things, and then we become hopeless ourselves, and fear begins to take a grip in our hearts. Because without this like verified or bona fide source of healing and hope in our life that we're returning to, that we're filling our buckets with, 
we can see how people continue in these cycles, right, of sadness, of addiction, of whatever it is. So we as the church, if you're here tonight and you're like, I am a follower of Christ, welcome, you're in the church. Kind of the questions I want to ask us are twofold. The first one is this. Like, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention to the suffering of the world around you? Or has it gotten to the point where you're like, this is so overwhelming. I think I'm, I'm just exhausted. I'm tapped out. I want to look away. Like, where we get into this self-preservation mode. This is the first. Are we paying attention? Are we willing to pay attention? And the second thing is this. Are we doing anything about it? Like, are we doing anything about it? When you see suffering and brokenness in the lives of others or people that are very different than you, like, do you ask yourself or do you ask the Lord, like, God, how can I participate in that person's healing or in their hope or sharing hope in their life only through you, Jesus? Because as the church, and I'm just going to speak kind of for, like, the Western church, the evangelical church, which Calvary is an evangelical church, um, we haven't always done an awesome job of being compassionate. Like, I'm sure you know someone in your life who's experienced church hurt. Maybe it's yourself. And it's easy because we get into these, like, holy huddles, right, where we're like, well, we don't want sin in our lives. So anything that, like, looks other or looks like he can, like, trip us up, we start to, like, ostracize or push to the outside because we don't want to be messy. Messiness is hard. Messiness takes energy. And sometimes worse, we don't want to display our mess to others to be seen and to be healed. And that just perpetuates more hurt, right? Like hurt people hurt people. And we're not immune to that in the church. And these are reasons all the more why we here as part of Jesus's greater church, we want to step up to the plate and dramatically escalate our Christ-like compassion. Because again, compassion, this word, is the ability to suffer with. It's not pitying people. That's kind of the beginning. Like oftentimes we're like, oh, I feel so sorry for that person. If that leads you to actually stepping inside someone's world and sitting with them and listening to them, great. But if it stops there, it's actually not helpful because it others them. It pushes them out. Oh, you're different than me. Oh, I'm so, I would never want that to happen to me. And you see, we can do this without sacrificing our convictions, going, stepping inside to people's worlds because this restores dignity and get, this gives way to hope in dark places, which is exactly what Christ came to do. Because we as the people of God are called to display for this broken world the realities and virtues of this, his kingdom. And if I know anything, and if I want you to know anything tonight, it is this. It's God is moved by your suffering, and he's moved to action on your behalf. And how I know this is because of the gospel. I know this because when God looked down into the world and saw us suffering because of our sin, he said, I'm going to make a sacrifice I'm going to send my son in perfect form, fully man, fully God. He's going to live a perfect life and go to the cross to pay for your sins because he doesn't want us to suffer. He wants to free us from that suffering. He was moved to action and gave us freedom through Christ so that we can bring hope to a dying world. This is why Christ came to die for you. So let's start by going to the word of God. And let's take a look at what the early church did when they faced an opportunity to be compassionate actually failed. What they did to actually readjust. So if you're with me, if your Bibles, uh, please open to Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Wow, some of you guys have actual Bibles. That's cool. Um, and I'm just going to give you a quick, quick backstory. So we're looking at the book of Acts. And if you've been here, you kind of know that Acts is kind of a picture. It's the history of the early church. This is right after Christ was crucified was buried, 
and then overcame the grave on the third day. So he, has, he came back, he revealed himself to, it said, over 500 people, including his disciples, and then he ascended, and he left the Spirit of God on his apostles. He said, you will do greater things now that I am gone. This is the better plan. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded you. So he's like, all right, guys, good luck. But he's like, don't worry, I'm going to leave my spirit with you so you'll have all wisdom. So this is the church, and it catalyzes this huge growth where people are coming to Christ at enormous rates. But as the church grows wider and deeper, so do its problems. We look so often at the book of Acts, and we're like, if only we could be like the book of Acts again. Like, they had everything in common and broke bread together, and it was so great. But, like, we're six chapters in, and we're going to see a huge miss. And this miss has to do with the church taking care of the physical needs of some of the widows around them. Because now, like, you hear someone, like, losing a spouse, and you're like, that's hard. Like, that's difficult. Probably, like, doesn't help with their income. It breaks up a family. But back in the ancient Near East, as a woman, this was devastating. Like, women back then did not have power. They might have some influence, but without a husband or a male figure in their family, they were extremely vulnerable to a number of really awful things. So the church steps in, and this is why scripture talks about protecting orphans and widows in the context of that society. The church steps in and said, we'll take care of you. We're going to start to feed you. But they start having these blind spots, and this is what happens. So in verse 1, it says this. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, so those that were like Greek, Roman, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So here we have the followers of Jesus not being very Christ-like. Essentially what's happening is these Greek-speaking widows who have now been invited into this like new creation, new picture of the kingdom of heaven, because right, like if you look all through the Old Testament, God is speaking primarily to the Israeli people. And then you move further into the New Testament, he says, okay, no, this new commandment I have, this new law that I have is actually for everyone, whether you're Greek or Jewish, male or female, slave or free, this, this good news, this gospel is available to everyone. So the church becomes open wide to every single human. But what's happening here is there's actually a form of discrimination happening. And it's, it has some racial tensions in there. And this is not the heart of God in the family of God. So something has to be done about this. And here's what happens. So it says in verse 2, The twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Basically, so these are like the twelve guys in charge, and they're going out, and they're church planning, and they're preaching the news. They're going, we cannot stop what we're doing because we want the word of God to spread throughout all of this land. We want to reach new people. But we cannot ignore that this church, this aspect of the church is not representing the heart of God by neglecting these Greek widows. So here's what we're going to do. We need to choose people to kind of like redirect. We need to assign people to make this right and start paying attention to these widows. So verse 3, it says, brothers and sisters, they're addressing their congregation. They're saying, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. That's the only qualification. Make sure they know Jesus and have the Holy Spirit and their wives. We will turn their responsibility or this responsibility over to them. And we will give attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So here's two things they want to do well. One, they want to communicate the message of God, the convictions and the good news of Jesus. They're like, we're not going to stop preaching the gospel in order to cover this need. But two, they also want to have compassion and care for the needs of people. 
And in this case, the organism that is the church, this living, growing, active thing, has outgrown their structure, the organization. So they need to utilize the gifts among their congregation to better facilitate the ministry of the church. And guess what? Verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They're like, yes, 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 well done to you. Um, And here's the guys that they chose. So they're like, here's the seven dudes who are going to be in charge of making this right. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. That's a nice description, right? Also, Philip, very normal name. And then things get weird (laughs) to us. Um, Then they chose Prochorus, Nisenor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Like, don't you love, like, you probably know a Nicholas, but, like, do you know a Parmenus? Anyone? No? Okay. Sorry if that's your name. That's just kind of, not everything carries over to modern times. Um, But it's crazy because it says they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them, which is just a type of commissioning. Like, when we send someone into, like, a new place of work, it would just be the same thing as being like, hey, can I pray for you as we send you out into this place? We pray for wisdom over you. And I I love this little tidbit because if you think about it, we actually only know something about one of these men. So Stephen, who it says was full of faith in the Holy Spirit, ended up being martyred, meaning he lost his life for his faith in Jesus. And this we know, but the rest of these men, we know absolutely nothing about. Like, they are lost to history, but somehow their names made it into the Bible, which is still the most popular book to ever be printed. Like, we know nothing about them. I think that's amazing because they're lost to history, but they're not lost to eternity. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that the legacy of their lives was not about their own glory or notoriety, but it was all about God. It was all about God. They gave something up to take on this new role of taking care of the widows. And I was thinking about this the other morning in my time with God. I feel like the Spirit just gave me this phrase that was so simple but so convicting. And I just heard this. It said, we get to enter God's story, not just invite him into ours. Because I think I've lived a lot of my life, like, inviting God into my story. Like, okay, God, this is what I want to do today. This is, like, the college I want to go to. These are the friends I want to have, the person I want to date. And, like, direct me and guide me. But, like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, but towards those things. And I think everything changed for me when I started living life in like a discovery mode where I just realized like, God, everything I have is yours. The moment I said yes to you, Jesus, I've actually died to myself. So you get to direct my life. And that's so freeing. And if you're into, if you're into music, you might know the artist Sleeping At Last. They do like an album on the Enneagram. I don't know if that's a thing here. But um, there's this line about how rare and beautiful it is to even exist. And I think what these men have done They found profound purpose of discovery when we just come before God and say, Lord, thank you for letting me exist. What do you want me to do with my existence? And this is what's happened. This is what happens from them entering that posture of humility. Verse 7 says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Like these men are evidence for us that heavenly legacy is far greater than an earthly legacy. Eternity is fuller because these men said yes to the things of God. And there's so much more we could actually learn from this small instance in the early church. So here's a few of those things. One, structure provides for growth. So shout out to my type A people in the room. I'm very type A. I'm working on it. But I love structure because I think this is so true. Too much structure can like choke things out, but just a little bit of structure mixed with movement, and flow can create something really beautiful. 
And this kind of this picture that we came up with to provide for this is that of a trellis and a vine. And if you don't know what a trellis is, this is a trellis. What trellises do is they allow for the vine to grow in this kind of like beautiful upward movement where there's pattern. But what happens when the trellis gets cut off, the vine actually stops growing. And we see this in the church, right? Like if the church is the vine, then we need to keep redirecting and growing trellis so the vine can keep growing and blessing and providing fruit, right? So we need structure, and this is what we see even in the church today. It's like we need to be able to like pivot and to like restructure and not just do things based solely off uh, tradition in order to keep growing, to keep solving problems, because we ultimately want to keep the bottom line the bottom line, and that's to advance the kingdom of God. So first of all, structure provides for growth. The second thing is um, conviction and compassion are actually very Christ-like. Like sometimes I think, especially now, we, see, we hear things, especially like on social media or in the news, for, we have these groups that are really, really outwardly compassionate or socially conscious, but they're almost diametrically opposed to the church. And we get pitted, like the church can often so get pitted against these groups of like being hateful. And there are hateful people. And unfortunately, church hasn't always done a great job of representing Christ. But Jesus himself was the perfect representation of God in his heart. And he displayed a life full of righteous conviction and gracious compassion. And they are not opposed. And I would argue that we actually can't display proper compassion without knowing our convictions. Like simple things like why act like all people have dignity? Like truly, like why would you act like that? Or that life is sacred? or racism and poverty are evil, or greed is dangerous, without knowing the why behind that. Because you see the affirmations of these questions, all people have dignity, life is sacred, racism and poverty are evil, greed is dangerous, are convictions that are rooted in the reality of God's view of this world. And they lead us actually toward acts of compassion that are not selfish or socially motivated. Because this goes against our nature, right? Like, it's not always convenient for you to go out of your way and sit and listen to that girl at school that you have nothing in common with. Like, you know, that person where, like, other people say mean things about or, like, you get weird vibes. Like, we're called to be compassionate to humans, to people in our spheres of influence. And it's not always popular to say that you care about the full life of a human being or easy to check your own heart for bias towards people of different races or backgrounds or sexualities. And it's definitely countercultural to be truly generous with our time or our possessions. These are things that are motivated by a love of God and a conviction that comes from his word. Because you see, compassion without conviction can lead us to dangerous spaces when we actually don't know the why behind them. At the very least, it will lead us to complacency, like we stop caring about things again with our, our vision bucket is suddenly empty and it's like, well, why would I engage with that? But at the very worst, it takes us out to sea and we abandon our convictions not to please God, but to start pleasing people. Like I've been in situations too where I'm like, it actually would be more convenient to agree with this person because I'm a little bit more afraid of what they think of me than what God thinks of me in this moment. But Jesus was perfectly compassionate and he took on ultimate suffering for us. And he didn't concede to the loudest voice in the room or the most outraged person on the internet or allow people to walk further into hurt because he was afraid to upset them. And sometimes the most compassionate thing to do is to speak truthfully to someone, to not let them keep walking into a place that's ultimately gonna lead to their hurt. 
because this is the Jesus that I know. This is the God that I know. He was the same one when a woman was caught in adultery and sexual sin, and all the religious leaders and the Pharisees came to confront her, because at the time it wasn't just like a reprimand or you're like shaming someone for the actions. The penalty was death. They came with stones in their hands, and they were about to confront this woman and execute her. And what Christ did, he actually got down in front of them, and he wrote something in the sand that only she can see. And then he got up and said, okay, fine, you without sin can throw the first stone. And guess what happened? Every single one of them dropped their stones. So this is perfect amount of grace and compassion. But then what did he do after that? He looked at the woman and he said, my daughter, go and sin no more because he's fully full of truth and conviction when it comes to things of God. And guess what? That one probably sinned in her life again, right? But he was willing to speak truth and be fully graceful in that same moment. Because that's kind of going back to the vine and the trellis thing, right? Like if the vine is grace, then the trellis is truth. And it's conviction that grace can grow towards. Because even people with good intentions cannot bring the hope and healing to this world without God's vision for humanity. The Pharisees had an intention to keep up the law, but they lost the, the view of God's heart for his world. So what have we learned? Structure provides for growth. Conviction and compassion are Christ-like. And then thirdly, compassion means to suffer with. We've hit on this a few times, but it kind of looks like this. Like if you've ever encountered someone who's suffering, whether it's like they're just having a bummer of a day or they've had something devastating happen, two things can happen. You can either walk up to them in their like puddle of sorrow and you can go, man, that sucks. But you know what? Like, here's, you should have other reasons to smile. You have a roof over your head. Like, you had something to eat today. Like, things will get better. It's fine. And then you walk away. And how do you think that person feels? How have you felt when people have done, it's fine. Just buck up. Just chin up. It's going to be fine. Sometimes we need encouragement. But oftentimes, we just need it to look like this. You walk up to someone in their misery and you go, can I sit next to you in this puddle? And you get down and you're like, dang this is really wet and horrible, and now my pants are super soggy, and I hate this. But I'm gonna sit with you until we could actually figure out how to get up out of this puddle together. That's what compassion is. It's getting down and willing to suffer with people. But I think what's happened to many of us, especially in the church, we've come to a point where we feel like we can't love someone unless we first tell them our convictions about their life, right? Like the desire to set them straight before we can set them free. We're like, no, no, I just need you to know that I like don't approve of this puddle. And until you can like sop it up, like I, then I'll approach you because like I don't, I need you to know that this is wrong. But Jesus didn't do it that way. He stepped first into our puddle and then he rescued us. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to this earth. He entered into the depths of human depravity, the ultimate puddle, and then did the work of liberating us from the lies and deceptions of wayward living. You see, the reality is that we as a church do hold convictions, the same convictions as Jesus, convictions that would shake or anger many people around us. We hold firmly to biblical convictions about sexuality and gender and the sacred nature of life. And I recognize that where we stand on greed and lust, like that would trigger some of our neighbors. Yet, we say that we want to decisively elevate our Christ-like compassion. And we believe this won't mean anything unless those who disagree with our convictions at least will not be able to deny our compassion. 
Like those around us who look at the church are like, wait, I might not agree with your convictions, but I could actually see that you're taking time to be compassionate. To be a church, to be a place where a transgender peer can safely enter this building and not be made fun of or judged or left out. Where the girl has a poor romantic reputation is welcomed with kindness into this space instead of shame. Where sexual orientation is not the first and only thing to define you. Where those who can't keep up, because let's be honest, we live in Westlake, it's a very nice place. Like those who can't like keep up with the latest trends or dress like us or drive the same cars that we do are actually honored and respected in the house of God. You see, we can welcome people in while still holding our convictions because that's what Christ did. And like, why do this? Like, this is definitely the messier way, right? Like, and it's ultimately because we believe this, that the holiness of our church, the greater church, should and will raise the curiosity of the watching world. Like the way we live that actually leads towards wholeness and healing and life will raise the curiosity of the watching world. But this begins by recognizing the humanity within ourselves, the unholiness in us. Because it's both the beauty of being created in God's image by being wildly loved by him, chosen by him, knowing that God so powerfully loved us that he sent his son to suffer and die for us, and in the same breath, knowing that Christ suffered and died because of us, because of you and me, so that we should never look at another human being and go, you know what, I'm better than you, I'm above you. I am saved, I've been redeemed, but what you're in, that's just like a little too messy for me. We can't lose the beauty of the reality that we have been saved and liberated from our suffering. Because you might not believe what others believe. You might not agree with their convictions, they might differ from yours, but you know what it's like to suffer, right? Like someone else has suffered. You know what it's like to have failed, like someone else has failed. You know what it's like to have been deceived, like someone else has been deceived. And we know already that Christ has gotten down into our puddle, and we cannot get ourselves out. And we're called to do the same. We're called to come alongside another, no matter where they're from, their background, their convictions, and embrace this experience, this reality that God has expressed and shown to us that he's modeled how to do it and he's called us to follow his example. So two final things to consider for you like practical people that are like, great, now how do I do this? I'm so glad you asked. Um, the first thing is this, it's recognizing that different people have different callings and giftings. This should bring a relief to some of you. Because again, as we look at the apostles, they say it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word so they're like, we can't just stop spreading the gospel or church planning. But it doesn't mean that that was greater than what they said about waiting on tables or serving and feeding these widows. It's just a different role. Some people are called to wait on tables. Some people are called to balance spreadsheets. God bless you, that is not my talent. Another is to like physically bind a wound. Another is to declare the word of God. Another is to listen and pray. See, you have a role to play when it comes to compassion and service, and it doesn't have to be everything. It shouldn't be everything. And that's the beauty of being in the body of Christ. We talk about being different members of the same body. You're not expected to do everything, but you are called to do something. Andy Stanley says this, do for a few what you wish you could do for all. Just put your hand to the plow, start something, try to volunteer in a ministry, and then see where God shapes and uses your giftings and your talents. We have so many opportunities to serve here, and you've heard about them through high school ministry. There's mission trips, there's outreach opportunities, 
We have an incredible special abilities ministry. That Halloween buddy break is so much fun. I said this earlier, but like if anyone needs a kangaroo costume, hit me up. It's always a hit. But just go for something. And if it's not your thing, that's okay. Move on and see what God is revealing to you. You could serve in middle school, elementary, early childhood. You could be a part of even just in the room. Be available to pray for people. Be on hospitality. Greet people as they come in. Um, I'm just going to throw up this resource really quick. But if you're like, what does the rest of the church do? You can go to our missions and outreach website, just calvarywestlake.org forward slash reach. There's service opportunities there all the time. You can learn about global missions that happen outside of high school ministry. So if you want to get your family involved, like make this a whole life thing. Invite people with you. And again, it's probably good that you're not involved in everything, but identify your gifts and then keep going. This is part of the discernment process. So lastly, okay, you have different people have different callings and giftings. And then wisdom and the Holy Spirit are all that are needed. That's all that's needed. So if you're a follower of Christ, congratulations, you have been sealed with the Spirit. And guess what? The Spirit is all wisdom. He is called the great advocate, the great counselor, who can actually guide you as you learn to serve and be a part of the greater kingdom. This is the only qualification. Because part of us living compassionately is actually living compassionately with a lot of wisdom. Even here at Calvary, like we don't go around mindlessly helping people. We do it with wisdom. We don't throw money at people. We strategically provide for them. We ask the Holy Spirit, how do we use these resources? How do we advance the kingdom through what you've given us? And the Spirit will lead us to serve with the fullness of his fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. So if you're ever like, am I doing this right? Look for those things. Christ-centered compassion will employ all these attributes and then some. And here at Calvary, we have some practical examples, so buckle up. Uh, over the next eight years, we have a big vision, a big and risky vision. In our conference room, we have this plaque, and it says, attempt to accomplish something so big that it's doomed to fail unless God is in it. And we want to be people. We don't want to do things by our own strength. What good is that? But God's given us this vision, and it's wild. And if you're like, how can I be a part of it? Please join us by at least praying. We need the power of prayer to fuel this. But here are eight ways that over the next eight years, we want to dramatically escalate our Christ-like compassion. And the first is this. We want to launch the Caneo Valley Care Center to meet the needs of our community. So as a church, again, we want to meet the spiritual needs of our people, but we also want to meet the mental health needs of our people, those who are in addiction, those who are looking for counseling and care, those who have physical and material needs, just like the church in Acts. And we want people to turn to Calvary, not as a last resort, but a first response, which again, people coming on our campus go, I may not understand your convictions about Christ right now, but I do see your compassion. And our heart is that would lead people to know their savior. The second is this, 10. We wanna partner and establish 10 homes for various different ministries. So we at Calvary partner with ministries throughout the whole Caneo Valley. This includes foster youth, adults with special abilities, refugee families, and trafficking victims. And we would love to create safe spaces for those people to recover and then be sent out into society healthy and whole, and again, with the hope of the gospel. Third, we wanna actively engage in a, the lives of 100 foster children. I don't know if any of you know someone in the foster care system or know about that system, but it's very broken. Um, it's wonderful and beautiful, and people can get placed really healthy homes. But we also know that it's so critical to intervene and have healthy adult figures or even mentors in you know, high school and older to come into the lives of these kids and provide just stability emotionally, spiritually, physically. 
and they could change the trajectory of their lives doing this. So we want to be a part of that. Fourthly, uh, we want to plant a thousand churches to unreached villages. Calvary has many mission partners in Asia and South America and Europe. Um, and we want to go beyond the greater Canaan Valley. We want to partner with what God's doing all around the world. So we want to resource those places so that people can display the compassion of God in dark and unlikely places. Fifth, we want to minister to 10,000 at-risk children locally and globally. Jesus has a lot to say about protecting children. Um, he has really strong words for those who'd actually harm a child. And we believe that children matter. Like, they are looked down upon in our society, but so much more in others. Um, and we want to be people who step in and say children are important, they're worth our time, they're worth our resources, they're teaching the gospel to, um, that they're not less than adults just because they can't, like, bring in an income or, like, work in society, right? We want to minister to 10,000 at-risk children. Six, um, we want to distribute 100,000 Bibles. We want the word of God to go out to the four corners of the world, to be written in the language of the people they're intended for. Um, and we believe the word of God is powerful and effective, that where our compassion comes from is the root of the convictions found in the word of God. Seven, we want to serve a million hours at our church. If you're like, how did you get that metric? I didn't. Um, but I do know that for, like, our church currently serves 400 to 500 hours on average a year. And that's amazing. But we want to invite people in again to their calling and their abilities in the church to see the compassion of Christ spread. And we want you guys to be a part of that. And then lastly, we want to give 10 million pounds of food away by 2030. Like we want to be like the early church and say, we want to meet the spiritual needs of people, but we also want to meet the physical needs of people. We don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're not of any earthly good that we're just looking towards eternity and not being actively engaged in the needs of people around us today. Because as we're about to sing about, we wanna be a part of the simple kingdom that we so often overcomplicate, but a kingdom that just is founded and rooted on the basis of Jesus's love for the least and the lost. So you're invited to be a part of that. Let me pray with me. Father God, thank you so much that you came down to us, Lord, in our puddles that you saw our suffering, Lord, and you had compassion on us. And Lord, I just pray that you would teach us what it means to be compassionate towards those around us, God. Teach us to have conviction, teach us to stand firm for the things that you love and cherish and make us uncomfortable. God, as we see the kingdom advance and we see your beauty and glory spread throughout this earth, God, help us to not be so concerned about our own glory. Lord, we just say our lives really are yours, God. And I just pray for those who don't know that fullness of experience of life, um, that it would just be so tangible tonight. You're worthy of our time and our attention and our affection. We just say, Jesus, we love you. And we thank you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We really hope it blessed you. You can connect with us on social media at CalvaryHSM805. God bless.